You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media app for outdoor enthusiasts. If you love to hunt, if you love to fish, if you love to hike, if you love to camp, if you like to be outdoors, then you need to download the Go Wild app. It's a perfect place for you to join a community of people like-minded people who enjoy the same things that you do. You won't be persecuted for posting a trophy pick. You won't be persecuted for, you know, posting meat or whatever like they do on, uh, you'll get some haters every once in a while on Instagram and uh, Facebook. But I think it's a really good place for you to not only share what you do, but join a community and that allows you to meet other people and who knows what happens when you meet other people. A specific example of is, I posted a comment or something about uh, shed hunting and I met a guy who shed hunts near me and I think we're going to team up and go on a shed hunt together uh, this this fall so or this excuse me this spring. So if you haven't had the opportunity go to the Google Play Store, download the Go Wild app and if you want some more information, you can also go to their website time to go wild.com. Get outside, it's time to go wild. Welcome to the For Love and Land podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. Hey, guys. Adam here. Matt here, too. And we've got your For Love and Land podcast. We're uh, going to be an, another very uh, relatable topic oh yeah um something for everybody to to kind of latch on to latch on to and then hear some brainstorm you're going to have a brainstorming session with some of the ideas that he's going to throw out there and in, in ways of purchasing or working with the government to uh, move forth with land purchasing and land improvements lots of announcements though before we jump into that yeah. podcast yeah, yeah, yeah for sure There's three of them about the qdma yes so we've got QDMA Whitetail Weekend, April twelfth and thirteenth, at headquarters, yeah. right Oak there Art. in uh, Georgia. Georgia. I was Gallagher. trying to think of trying to think Southern of the town, Peach. but um, yeah. anyway, Bogart, Bogart Georgia. Yep. That's correct. QDMA headquarters, Whitetail Weekend. Lots of in the field stuff. We yep. may or may not be there. We're trying to get some scheduling done to where we could be there. But even if we're not, it's a great opportunity Definitely. to head to um, QDMA national headquarters and get your noggin full of all all kinds of information about whitetail and land management um, also we have early bird registration for deer steward two course 
in um, Ohio, Gallipolis, Ohio, um, on a property that we are working with and managing there in uh, we will certainly Southeast be there. Ohio, and we will be there for Hosting that. Hosting the event. Uh, that I'm looking forward to. That's Did I say September 13th through the 16th? I don't think I said oh, not it. Not yet. There uh, you go. Those are the dates. That is Deer Stewart 2 course. So if you haven't gone through Deer Stewart 1 yet, make sure you do that before. And uh, go ahead and sign up for that. Um, and, and join us over there. Um, lots and lots of really cool um, habitat information and, and techniques used over there to help you on your property. Absolutely. The third thing for QDMA is March 23rd. Matt will be in Dayton, Ohio for a workshop um, there with, what's the name of the branch? Deer Management Workshop. Um, it is with, can't remember off the top of my head, honestly. Oh, it doesn't say what um, branch? Oh, local Twin Creek QDMA branch. Twin Creek QDMA branch out of Dayton, Ohio. Um, be there speaking a couple topics. Um, that is Saturday, March 23rd at... Uh, Oh, what is that? The Miami Valley Center Career Technical Center. As much time as we spend in Ohio, we might as well get a second home over we, there because it is ridiculous might. how much we go to Ohio. I know. I know. This time, at least it's, uh, it's a flight and not a drive. That 10-hour drive is getting – Yeah. Well, I know it by heart now. I, I mean, mean, I don't – no GPS, just go. Yeah. Go to the it, metal. When we had – it is just – and, sure. and we're going to be back again. I know um, in May, in, in May, and possibly um, in March, possibly in, in another time in March, possibly. So, and then we'll be back in September. Yep. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm going to get an air a little. What's that? Airbnb. Yeah. And just rent it out. Yeah. Buy a house and make <laughs> an Airbnb, and then whenever we go in there, we don't have to pay. Yeah. It. There yeah. we go. And then also. Um, March 1st and 2nd, so that's next weekend. We will be at the, or this coming weekend, Yep. Um, Farm and Gin. I think it's the Mid-South yes. Farm and Gin Show in Memphis, Tennessee. With Stratton um, Seed. They'll be there. Yes, we'll be there at the Stratton Seed booth. Um, not your hunting expo. This is one. This is, this is cool. Let me be honest with you. I enjoy these shows more than the hunting shows oh, yeah. a lot of times. So This is going to be a lot of equipment, a lot of implements. A lot of farming stuff, uh, agriculture sure. stuff. So we're going to be there. It's a big show. Come and see us if you're anywhere near Memphis, Tennessee, this next weekend, the 1st and 2nd of March. Also, one last announcement, Quail Forever, Missouri State Banquet, Quail and Pheasants uh-huh. Forever, Missouri State Banquet, March 16th. We will be there um, presenting, yep. what's the actual title of our presentation? Or what did they tell us? Basically, our topic? basically we're talking about... Um, new ways of getting folks outdoors, in, in essence, is the topic. I don't think there's a title set yet, but basically um, the importance of education on habitat and land management and sharing those different educational topics. Here it is. Topics. Take it outside. That's the title. Take it outside? <laughs> That's it. Like when you're going to get in a fight or whatever, let's, let's take, take it, it out, outside. Take it outside, guys. Yeah. Just get outside. Take it outside. So that's really what our uh, – it's going to be new ways. To get people new, outside. New ways, new ways of intriguing and letting letting um, the outdoors and nature just speak to people. So yep. that'll be fun. That'll be cool. That's March 16th, right? Finally, something Columbia. to talk about that's not just deer hunting. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Columbia, Missouri. So be sure to join us there if you're in Missouri. There's a lot of other great speakers too that are truthfully there. There's lots of breakout sessions. Frank um, Long Carriage. Uh, yeah from MDC with the quail, the, the second half of the, uh, there's 
the dynamic duo. Right. Of Kyle and Frank. Kyle and Frank of the Quail Study that we had Kyle on the podcast a couple <coughs> weeks ago. Yep. Frank is the other guy involved in that research. He will be there presenting uh, on their study. And there's all kinds of awesome stuff. Maybe we can get Frank on and do a podcast when Kyle's not there and get a bunch of dirt on Kyle. That's it. From Frank. Or get the actual um, the other truth. part of the research. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All so, that other stuff you heard was just fluff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think it. there's a – I forget all the stuff they have going on, but a lot of really cool um, breakout sessions and oh, opportunities yeah. to learn about quail habitat management or in, all things quail. Early successful so. habitat, everything that you're looking to know more about pollinators, uh, CRP programs – a lot of great uh, minds are going to be there at, at the Quail Forever, Pheasants Forever meeting March 16th. It'll be fun for us. Do I dare one. say a lot of true habitat management techniques going to be oh, discussed yeah. there. For sure. Rather Describe than fire, yes. dormant season disking, a lot of cool things. That's right. So hopefully you guys will meet us at any of all of these places that we just rattled off. Um, you may have to. You may have to rewind and go through because yeah. there's a ton of places we're going to be over the, next, uh, over the next few months. So. That's right. Um, anyway, Matt. Yes. So Brief so introduction here. This is uh, an interview this week with Glenn Dye. He is a cousin of mine. Um, I grew up with uh, just a few miles down the road. His dad and my dad are first cousins, and they grew up across the street from each other, both farming um backgrounds of course and both crop and hay and cattle um, anyhow Glenn has really adopted the crop side of things and is a full-time farmer um, supporting his family and farming about 1500 acres in uh, north and central Virginia so um, he is very involved with NRCS practices uh, with cover cropping no-till drilling um, and just uh, a big proponent advocate and knowledge base of agronomy so soil health soil fertility talks about his kind of uh his walk from you know college up through starting his own business acquiring land so um extremely cool we, we haven't just talked with a crop farmer in the past so um this one obviously touched close to home uh he's got a lot of great insight and a lot of cool things that you know New farming techniques are, are bringing on um, that the technology behind things right now is just almost overwhelming. Um, and, and it's neat to see how things have changed so drastically in such a short amount of time. But it's truthfully making that technology, if used right and appropriately, um, is, is making things environmentally um, more sound. Uh, and he, he'll get into that from a, from a fertilizer, liming, um, soil amending side of things. Um, so be sure to listen. Um, enjoy it. I, I think you guys will be able to learn and, and honestly make a lot of uh, parallels between what he's doing on a daily basis to making overall land that much healthier and working it together as a system. <coughs> All righty. I think we're ready to rock and roll. Glenn, are you there? I'm here. All right. So I know you're uh, ready to talk farming for a good half hour, 45 minutes. Ready? There you go. <laughs> so <clears throat> we did a little intro, kind of discussing a little bit of our, our history. Obviously, we're, we're cousins. Um, basically, dads are first cousins, correct? Correct. I don't, I don't even know, honestly, where that puts us. It doesn't matter. Cousin is a cousin. I was going to say. I don't get all that whole relation crap. It is what uh, it is. Um, 
but we have grown up, um, you know, childhood-wise, living not too far from one another. So um, you're quite a bit older than me. However, um, through farming and this and that and just being so close, um, we've kind of had halfway grown up together. Right. Um, but obviously career wise, gone, gone different paths. And I don't, I've shared my story on the podcast quite a bit. Um, but basically, you know, having kind of the background of, of, uh, you know, my granddad working cattle and, and, you know, doing the whole hay thing, um, that whole, okay, if you will, working the land was intriguing to me, but I had a heck of a passion for wildlife. And so I kind of put the two and two together and said, okay, well, what is there that I can do wildlife wise, but still kind of work the land and then out comes, you know, land and legacy. But for you, you kind of filled in shoes, um, I guess more routinely on what your grandfather did and your dad. So talk to us a little bit about kind of how you got started there from your farming um, background. Yeah, it was, like you said, it, both of us are very much influenced by our grandfathers. And, Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> when when Granddaddy passed in, in 99, I was 13 at the time. And uh, I don't know, something had, had clicked with clicked with me. And I just, I realized and recognized that I needed to pitch in and, and pull my weight, for lack of better terms. Even though, I mean, being that young, I just, I don't know, I, I felt a, a passion to pick up. The, the void that was left mm-hmm. and it, it had just, it, that's where it started. Um, growing up before that, I mean, dad and granddaddy both were great about letting me do what I wanted to do. I mean, I thought I was just going to play professional baseball and that's all there was to it. <laughs> Quickly yeah. realized that, that, I mean, we had, we have good genes. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. they just weren't quite good enough. That's right. <laughs> um, so when, when granddaddy passed, it kind of made me see that, that I needed to, to help out and wanted to help out and it just kind of evolved from there um dad let me do as much or as little as i wanted to do never never pushed me and i've i've thanked him many times in adulthood now mm-hmm. and for not pushing me to be who he wanted me to be to let me figure it out that that's so. right <clears throat> in, in that learning process is you know as you got started after 13 um was there like that aha moment of okay, I, I know there was, you know, a void, you know, you need to kind of fill in, do this and that, but was there like that aha moment that, uh, whether it's education or just an experience while in the field that you're like, man, this is, this is what I want to do. This is going to be like lifetime. Did you have yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed every aspect of it. I mean, we, we all enjoy working with our fathers. Mm-hmm. That, that was the, the motivation for me. Um, uniquely we get along and i mean we span every now and then but i mean we get along just, just like any other and, relationship right right and i mean we, we complement each other really well and mm-hmm. it's it's it really works i don't know i think about one memory i have um it was senior year of high school um i won the district golf tournament that day yep and since we were out of school for the tournament that day after the tournament, I went and shelled corn for dad. Right. And <clears throat> I joked, I was like, you know, up until that point, that was one of the greatest days of my life. Mm-hmm. Winning a golf tournament, running a combine at night, man, it didn't get any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> what a combination. But, 
And that was the first time that he really turned me loose and let me run it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'd, I'd always rode with Granddaddy in the combine, and granted, I'd, I'd slept quite a bit in the combine more than <laughs> <Many> <laughs> paid naps. attention. Right. But it, that was, uh, I enjoyed the, the combine and aspect of it. I enjoyed the grain side of it. Um, and that was kind of, it, that was a, a hurdle you know, growing up where we grew up with development mm-hmm. taking over like it had grain, the grain side of thing had really kind of diminished by the time I was old enough to sure. be able to do anything. Dad had, you know, developed into a, <clears throat> a horse hay and, and mm-hmm. straw operation, not so much grain. So that I, I thought that was what I wanted to do and wanted to do the grain, but it was just harder and harder to do at home. Right. So you went soon, soon after that, soon after the, you know, the, the senior year in college, you ended up going to school, um, excuse me, senior year in high school, you ended up going to college. Um, you got a degree in agronomy. Is that right? Soil science? Right. And okay. they put the complicated term of crop and soil environmental science I see. and, uh, it used to be agronomy. So mm-hmm. it was, there was an agronomy emphasis cause they had a couple of different emphasis uh in the department but yeah mm-hmm. I, actually I, I started down in ag business at penn state right um for two went there for two years and transferred to, to tech yep. uh to finish out the last two and change majors when i did my gotcha um from an education standpoint and this is always this is always a fun question we get it a lot from people who are interested kind of in in our experiences and kind of uh you know the education that we have versus you know just experience in the field but um and I'm a, I'm a huge believer in in education I think you get it from a lot of different resources and a lot of different um people and just fields itself but uh, as a full-time crop farmer now um what do you think has been education-wise the most influential uh, part of your learning? Was it college or just years in the field, growing season after growing season, watching and learning? Or has it been outside research that you've just, you know, kind of clung to and, you know, been doing, you know, from probably after your kids go to sleep? And then, um, you know, what, what's been the most impact there? from a learning side? Um, I mean, <clears throat> we, we learn all sorts of things and we learn the most from mistakes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say in, in college, I mean, everybody asks, you know, was it worth it, this and that? Sure. And my short answer is yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not everybody can say that. Right. Um, Depends but, on your, but I, your, your college experience. Oh, yeah. No, a- absolutely. And I mean, I going to both schools, that was a... a <clears throat> big benefit for me, uh, networking wise. I mean, sure. I've, I've met so many people and, and <clears throat> business. No, I mean, even after the fact doing business with friends of friends or, con- you know, just the connections oh, there. It's, it's unreal. I yeah. mean, it's, it's all about, <laughs> it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's the truth. And <clears throat> that's, that's really played dividends. But now I, I had, uh, my senior year at tech, I had a soil fertility professor mm-hmm. who was one of the, I say the best in the country, mm. um, just very well known worldwide, really. And um, he he was extremely difficult, um, right. and it was 
it was the toughest C plus I ever got in my life. <laughs> you worked for that, but yeah, but I learned, and that sure. and that was what he was after. Mm-hmm. He he didn't want you to go out of you know leave that class with a grade. He wanted you to leave with the knowledge of what was being taught. Sure. And now in 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 profession, I, I value that deeply. I mean, it's <clears throat> I know how things work because of that class, mm-hmm. as far as fertility and chemistry and Sure. It wasn't a well. Let's just move on kind of thing. He didn't go on till you knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. I I hate to admit it, but I I failed the first exam with flying colors. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, he actually he called me into his office, mm-hmm. and it, the first and only professor that that ever did that in in my college career right. called me into his office, and uh, he had done a bunch of research with with Johnny Davis and Tommy Hickson and down at Port Royal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we yeah. had a connection there. We yeah. had chatted about that in class, and, <clears throat> and he was—I I remember it like it was yesterday, Matt. He said, "Glenn, I like you, but I will fail you." <laughs> and I mean, he was—he was just dead serious, yeah, and I, and I yeah. knew it too. I mean, yeah. Tommy and him had joked that after the first exam, that he brings tissues into the class for all the kids that are crying about the grades and this and that. And, I told him, I said, man, he didn't give me any tissues, but I can tell you, I believe that now. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but he did. He, uh, it, it, it really hit with me, and uh, I got my act together and, and buckled down and, and battled back mm-hmm. and, and learned the material, and, it, and it's been so helpful in what I do now. Wow, um, I didn't know that it would be, mm-hmm. but it but it has been. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, obviously this is nothing new to you, but like – Soil is a building block, and just like in that class, you have to, you know, you have to get the basics to understand. The more complicated, and the more in depth you go, right. you can't just skip ahead. Like, oh, I get that. Like, it just builds and builds and builds on on the very principles of things. And so, I, I there's a couple of classes and, and subjects in my school that was very similar to that. It's like, wow, it just kind of sets you back on your heels a little bit. Because I, I know you're you're a good student. I was a good student, and there's a couple of those classes though. You're like. I really need to buckle down. Like I, I, I need to really grasp this from the very beginning and then right. go forward because, wow, if I don't, I'm going to get behind. And, right. and now I look back and I'm like, okay, even things that have, you know, I feel like shouldn't be related to maybe that subject or that field. I can tie back and be like, Oh, there's, a, there's where that principle just kind of pops back up. And you're like, I understand that I, I can, I can grasp this a little bit better and how things are just so interconnected. Well, and it's, I joke, it's, a, that was a money-making course mm-hmm. for me. Right. <clears throat> I mean, now in what I do, I didn't know I was going to be doing what I'm doing. Sure. But now, now that I am, <clears throat> I mean, it's, I know the, the basics that, you know, soil fertility is based upon and <clears throat> I I can figure out what I need. I don't have to take what some, uh, I hate to say it, but what some, uh, fertilizer salesman is telling me what sure. I need, you know, yeah. yeah, I can either confirm or disprove or, I mean, there's all sorts of miraculous juice that you can pour in with <laughs> right. this and that, and it's going to give you this yield bump. And, you know, and I tell people, I'm like, let's stick to the basics and get that correct first. And there you go. Then we'll worry about, you know, so it's, it's kind of, it, it's, it definitely <clears throat> taught me to keep my eyes open and, and, you know, work with what's known first, but that's right. And he's, I mean, <clears throat> he was such a mentor to me. I mean, we still keep in touch. I mean, I just, we just sent him a, a 
birth announcement when Grace was born. And, oh, nice, yeah. No, uh, he's. <clears throat> I, I feel for the students coming through now because he is retired. Mm-hmm. That they're not getting that value. Uh, that that value that I got out of it. Sure. Well, it's funny you said you know about that like uh, that magic juice. You know, I think with whatever industry you're in, there's always like that that uh, ability to try and market products that are like, oh, jump, you know, skip this step or, or get ahead, do this, apply this and that. Like you know, we see that in in our industry, and it's like the marketing behind it is like, oh, it makes it sound so um, sound so good and and save you money and save you time. But truthfully, and I think that's where, you know, Land of Legacy comes in is like, okay, here are the principles, here are the building blocks. Let's get this right first, and then you'll be able to see right. what uh, the growth and the development and the benefits and the productivity out of your habitat and no different from what you're doing on a crop side, on the soil fertility side, just back to the basics, learning, and I don't want to say science, but it is science. I mean, it's just, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated oh, yeah. science, though, either. It's just foundational <laughs> principles, and, and from there, you just take it and go. So, I guess my, my next question is, okay, you, you went to school, um, you did that, but you didn't go right into just full-time farming. Um you had a couple right. other jobs and stuff. What that, that I'm sure allowed you to get to the point where you're like, okay, now I'm comfortable um, stepping out and doing farming full time. What was that process like? Um, and what was that kind of breaking point? I said, okay, I'm going all in. I'm doing it. Uh, I'm going to make a career out of this. It was it was tough. Um, I worked at a, a John Deere dealership right out of school for four years. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that was on the recommendation of another farmer, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Senior year of college, I interviewed him for a a senior seminar class. Okay. And uh, I asked, you know, I guess one of the questions was, do you have any advice for this and that? He, uh, he said, go work for somebody else. He Hmm. said, you know, go, go work under somebody else other than a family member. Right. He said, you can always come back to the farm. It'll always be there. Sure. And I was, you know, fortunate that dad was, was doing that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he said, but go, go get the experience under somebody else. See how they run things. See, you right. know, see it through their eyes. And that was great advice. I did. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went and worked for somebody else was, was completely happy working. Yeah. Uh, under the boss that I had, he was a great boss and we do business now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was tough being where I was and, you know, you come home at night and especially when I was living at home, you talk to dad about his day and what all he's been doing and seeing how hard he was running. And right. It was just another one of those moments where I was like, look, you know, I actually, I went part-time first mm-hmm. um to help dad and then I'd, I'd work at the dealership like three days a week and quickly found out it wasn't enough money there with with dad <laughs> yeah. uh, to to do that so i went back full-time at the dealership um but what i guess what really made me try to do it was uh the first landlord that, that i rented land from um i started with 41 acres over there, Mr. Crocker's, you know mm-hmm. where we're at. Yep. And <clears throat> it picked up a little bit as the, the couple of years went on. And as his battle with Alzheimer's got, got worse, um, he, he decided to rent me the whole farm. Yep. <clears throat> and it, it wasn't a, a big place by any means. I mean, it's 
one of my biggest pieces right now. Um, but it was 200 and some acres and I, dad had, had let me farm a few fields of his. So I was, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if I was 400 acres yet, mm-hmm. but, um, I decided that, that just seeing how things were going with trying to do that on the side and work at the dealership, it just wasn't, I needed to dedicate myself to one or the other. Sure. <clears throat> and, uh, so I decided it was hard. I, I, I was emotional when I told my boss what I was doing. And mm-hmm. of course, I mean, he was all for it. He's like, look, you don't do it. You know, you don't never know. That's right. And, uh, so that was kind of, we jumped in feet first and, um, I hit it at, I'd say probably the most perfect time in row crop agriculture. Um, Ooh. we had come off a drought and prices were good and I lucked out and had some really good yields out the gates and, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> probably had the best luck that I'll have in my farming career. <laughs> I hope, I hope I see it again, but sure. Um, <clears throat> that, that definitely helped me get started. Right. So, and then that was just a, a sheer, you know, yield standpoint and and you know kind of the way the the market was at the time correct yeah yeah i, I was fortunate enough to to do a good job agronomically and had mm-hmm. had good yields and especially 2012 i remember that was when the midwest had a, a terrible drought, drought yeah. <clears throat> and uh we we it was the worst yields i had had but they were still good enough um uh, with the prices that we were getting to, mm-hmm. to still do all right. Sure. <clears throat> so moving then into full-time farming, um, now wh- what's operation size, you know, I guess six, seven years later after moving full-time, what, what, how much are you farming? I know you're, you're down, um, you got farms as far as three hours apart from each other. Um, we'll kind of get into that story in a little bit, but, uh, where, what size are you at now? Uh, a little over fifteen hundred. Okay. Right, right. I'd say right around fifteen hundred. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, so to be able to make, you know, that jump and increase, you know, the number of acres that you're you're doing, uh, and I know that you're um, enrolled and doing some work with the NRCS um, and nutrient management plans. Can you kind of explain your connection there and the benefit? Um, of being enrolled and understanding those programs that it's afforded you. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've played a a big part in the operation, Um, especially in the cost share side of things of Mm -hmm. of helping implement some practices. Um, But yeah, I've, I've, with the NRCS, I've, I've been a big participant in their equip program. Okay. um, With multiple practices, whether it be a, a cover crop program, a diversified cover crop program, Mm -hmm. um, a no no tillage program, especially at home in the Chesapeake Bay. That's right. that's a big one. Um, <clears throat> they have a, a five nine. I call it five ninety. It's a nutrient management program mm-hmm. where it's they've got three levels A, B, and C. Um, C being the highest level of management, and I've I've participated in level C. Um, that's that's when we break it down into the technological side of things with, you know, yield maps, overlaying those with soil types, soil sampling based on zones and then mm-hmm. fertilizing the fields, variable rate, uh, fertilizer, lime, um, so basically, basically you're saying, um, 
instead of going into a field, taking random samples of the entire field and saying, okay, here's your, your field average and applying based on that, the whole field on that field average, you're talking going in and fertilizing um, different zones differently on what those zones are saying. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so from yeah, an application no standpoint. No longer are we doing a blanket, right? Right. From an application standpoint, how does that change things? Well, it, it puts the, the right amount of nutrients where they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's everybody asks me that because I've been a big proponent for that, especially, you know, I, I sell ag leader technology, yep. uh, precision products. Um, everybody asks, well, what do you save? I said, well, it's I can't tell you that I'm saving. I said, but I can tell you I'm putting the right amount right where it's supposed to be. Sure. That makes, and, makes and sense. No, no more, no less. I mean, sure. it, it's it's so i love it when i'm going across the field and i see the belt cut off because i'm not putting anything out yeah that means i've got that zone fertilized to its maximum potential it doesn't need anything else mm-hmm. um, and, and so this is all through gps and, and coordinating you know inputs right. and software into the gps and so you're as you're driving a fertilizer buggy around you know it's reading that software and what the inputs in that portion or zone should be and applying as necessary correct right 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 <clears throat> So yeah. that, I mean, I mean, it's, it, it makes perfect sense. Okay. Why apply where it doesn't need it and do the blanket treatment um, or application across the whole field, just do it where it's necessary. Um, and, and that's that honestly, it's not any more scientific, but it's just, it's just a practical sense. It's like, why, why put that time and resource into the acres or portions of the field, the zones that don't need it. Exactly. And I mean, fertilizer prices today, it's granted it's, it's proper agronomic practice and environmental practice, but the mm-hmm. economical side of it too is, you know, we're, we're putting our money where it's supposed to be sure. and, and not wasting. That's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest key to, to my operation and being able to be successful so far is just to be as efficient as possible. Efficient that, with time and the it. resources. Right. Sure. <clears throat> um, and so any other type of practices that, that you've enrolled some of these acres in um, uh, with, with the NRCS that you're, that you're doing annually? Those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we've got the, the grass waterway, um, yep. critical area management, stuff like that. Um, I've tinkered with the idea of some pollinator stuff. Yeah. Um, Man, we're all I, about that. If you need some help, I know, let us know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So it's the 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 possibilities out there are endless, really. Man, I mean, they are a bunch of different things. It helps to have somebody that that knows what, uh, how to put it all together. I guess is a sure. big thing. Sure. And uh, navigate my, that. Uh, I guess yeah. from a and you know every agent is different. Um, you know who they work with in their given area. But how has that process been of going okay to the NRCS local you know agent and been okay? Here's what I want to do. Here's what I got. Um, obviously, it's been helpful to you. But what's that process been like um, from you know talking with them and then getting actually plans and stuff done? I've I've had a very positive experience. Good. I've I've heard heard some horror stories and, mm-hmm. and have some buddies that have have other opinions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've <clears throat> been very fortunate. the The district that I've worked with had, has had great technical um, 
service responsibility for it and and supervision has been great i mean really they've been open arms they they want people to to come to them and and want to try these things they they want to make it work for you absolutely and it's you know some things don't work it's Mm -hmm. i mean not everything fits everybody's operation that's right um but no i've I've had very good luck even even now at the new farm this year Mm -hmm. um signed up for some programs down there to to start implementing and it was, you know, so, some of it's new to them, and I think that's kind of um, intimidating, I, I'd say. Right. Um, especially, I mean, I threw a pretty big plan on them, and <laughs> well, they kind of stepped back like, whoa, hold on now. And, what uh, what but, did that plan include then? Well, it was, I mean, the, the new farm, oh, yeah, and we haven't yeah. really talked about that, but the, the new farm is in an area that, that's not, I'd say, a, a high management mm-hmm part of the state um it is out of the chesapeake bay so that's right. one part that's different that, that kind of you know it doesn't uh i guess it, it doesn't i don't know what the word i'm looking for um people aren't really they're not as encouraged. pushed to do those I, programs I right I, I shouldn't say encouraged i mean everybody's right. encouraged but it's not as imperative mm-hmm. where we're mm-hmm. at home in the bay i mean that's all we hear bay that's the right. bay the bay the bay right <clears throat> um so these practices were kind of new to them. Um, and the fact that I was going to be doing so many, right? which it was what I'm already doing at home. Mm-hmm. Just this farm down here hadn't seen that, that level of management. Sure. And uh, so they, it, it took a few meetings and explanations of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. And, and it, it's, it's great now. I mean, every, we, we've got a great relationship. They, you know, encouraged to see how things are going to go. Um, things i mean it, it it was a little bit longer of a process more right. educational so mm-hmm. to speak more meetings um to show them how, how this was all going to work sure but they they weren't against it from from any standpoint at all they just right they needed to to look into it more on their own because they hadn't had to before sure it was new to them and it was just working right. through that new relationship um, right. So I guess from a cost share standpoint, what, what is some of that, you don't have to throw out figures or anything. Um, but you know, what does that look like from, from your side? Uh, or, you know, when, when you look at a nutrient management plan of following through with that, uh, what does that in return come back to you? It, so say that again. So from a, you know, a cost share standpoint, what does that look like the benefit for you? Um, like how, how are they cost sharing that program for a farmer? Um, well, for the nutrient management side of things, it's basically passed through me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm certified to write my own, but now the yep. state has, <laughs> the state has kind of not cracked down on it, but they don't want the farmer writing his own plan, which I, I see that. Sure. Yep. I, I get that. I mean, I didn't get it for that reason. Mm-hmm. I got it out of college because I got a scholarship to, to take the test. But, right. um, so basically those, the cost share funds is, is paying for my nutrient management plan being written. Right. Um, cause I'm having a third party do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, buddy of mine I went to, to college with, he's doing my nutrient management plan and doing all my, um, precision sampling and, okay. and zone creations and prescriptions. And, and this year will be variable rate seeding. So he's going to be writing those as well. Okay. Cool. Um, it's is like we talked earlier. Rate seeding from a, um, crop standpoint or a, cover cropping or both um no it, it'll be uh mainly from a uh a crop standpoint okay. corn and, and more corn than anything mm-hmm. corn we see a bigger return than than anything else right now gotcha 
but that'll be the same idea. We'll have right. zones, mm-hmm. um, and and the planner will change the population Popular. rate. Yep. Based on those zones and the prescription that's written. So it's a lot of it is the the cost share. Like I said, that goes you know to them. The same thing with like that five ninety program that helps offset the cost of him sampling and write my prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the cover crop cost share it helped this year. Uh, I flew all of my cover crop on. Right. Right. Ardent as that is to believe, and still for me to believe it. Um, <laughs> and from, from an airplane or a helicopter standpoint? Airplane. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I've got a guy with a fixed wing that, mm-hmm. that I've worked with for years. I've, I've always done it in my corn, yep. um, fly it in the standing corn. Timing is the biggest thing, and that's where we are climate wise. It's so hard for us to get our covers established in a timely manner to. Sure to get a beneficial growth before winter kill yeah. on some species or, you know, before winter sets into dormancy for the others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the plane has, has really made that possible. It, it's no replacement for a drill. I won't say that at all. Sure. Um, seed to soil contact is, is important, mm-hmm. whatever you're planting. Um, but with some of these covers like rye or wheat, you know, some of them are, we're joking, throw it on asphalt, and it's going to come up somehow. <laughs> That's right. With a little bit of moisture, um, sometimes they'll germinate. Right. You, you yeah. put some moisture on it, it'll come up. So, it, and the, the weather we had this year, I mean, typically I fly it on the corn, then I'll cut the beans and drill behind them. Mm-hmm. But being separated to two farms this year, there was no way I was going to be able to do that. Yeah. So, I I flew the corn. I even flew, flew over the beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole other management standpoint there on beans. <laughs> Just with the foliage, is so much different than the corn. Sure. Row spacing and everything else. Right. But uh, road saw it this weekend uh, for the first time in a couple months. I'm pleased with it. We we nailed the timing this year, which I hadn't been able to do. Well, and, but, and we've talked about <coughs> that, uh, you know, the different ways of, of cover cropping. Um, and, and it basically just boils down to, okay, from an aerial standpoint, you're – when you actually get the crop out is completely variable every single year. Yet right. the timing, the window of, of planting doesn't typically change or very much, you know, each year. So, okay, then the method has to change um, of the what, you know, you can't always drill because you don't ever know when harvest is, but you still have to plant the right time. And so that's where your aerial seeding has really come into play and helped you to a, truly establish a very sound um producing cover crop that actually accomplishes the goal of having the cover crop. So just putting seed in the ground way late and actually not developing a root system and growing and, and basically cycling those nutrients. But now aerial, you get it in timely and you harvest when you can harvest. Right. And that's, that's the other thing. I mean, for the, the cost share to, you know, to be approved, you have to have a certain level of growth by a certain date. Right. And uh, a lot of times, you know, if you're waiting to drill, you're, you're not going to get there. So then, I mean, I've had that happen where their cost share doesn't happen. So you, you footed the whole bill for the cover crop, which sure. I mean, we're seeing agronomic benefits from it is mm-hmm. while we're doing it. Not, we're not farming for a call share program, but it right. certainly helps oh, sure. offset things. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so, Talk about the, those benefits um, from a farming standpoint, soil fertility, um, 
you know, we talk about it within, you know, just a food plot application, but you're on a much larger scale um, and, and obviously much more precision when it comes to the agricultural standpoint um, than, than a stinking food plot where you're just trying to get tonnage. You're just trying to grow as much as you can, um, but you're talking a, a different angle. Um, so what are those benefits from a cover crop standpoint that you're seeing in your field? Oh, multiple things. Um, I guess I'll start from <clears throat> start to, to finish. Um, it's the the one big thing, and, and it depends on the species too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of mine is is rye, mm-hmm. um, just because it's easier to get established. Right. Um, so you're you're maintain, <clears throat> maintaining green growth in the field. Um, you're keeping your microbial activity um, throughout the the season. Mm-hmm. It's it's giving things uh a crop to to live off of um your of course erosion sediment control on the the slopes that we farm but it's also capturing nutrients that might not have been used by the crop completely you know in that growing season right um and keeping it and from possibly leaching or eroding away correct you know it's keeping in that top portion of soil profile for other things down the road other crops that you might be rotating to be able to use Right, we're we're hoping to capture that in the following crop. Mm-hmm. Um, in the spring, you know, when you come in and burn down, the, the one thing I love about it is when I'm spraying, I don't have a smorgasbord of species to worry about killing. Right. Because that that rye, or you know, your cover crop has has shaded out those other species, and it's <clears throat> if it's if it's a monoculture rye, that that's easy. Sure. You, know, you dive in it, you're killing one species. Mm-hmm. But it, it limits what you've got to spray to kill all those other species out like, there. Like the hen bit, the dead nettle, that always like right. those winter annual weeds that come up. It's suppressing those. Yeah. And and at the same time, you know, when you kill them, kill that cover crop and, and plant into it, it's also, if you have good enough growth, it's creating a, a shading effect to, to keep out regrowth, you know. Sure after burn down so it, it in between when you ex- when you, your your crop actually begins to germinate and then can right over, right it, it extends the window i think from from pre uh planting burn down to to post applications sure sure that's that's the thing i like and, and two shade in the ground that keeps evapotranspiration mm-hmm. to a, to a minimum and especially in our climates i mean typically water is our limiting factor you know, yeah 2018 it was a totally different year. <laughs> right. <laughs> Spring handball, <laughs> right? Right. Right. I mean, it, it 70 some inches versus 42 inches yeah. on average. Incredible. But um, in, a, in a typical year, which I don't know what one of those is anymore, but right. a typical year, that, that cover crop is going to help mulch to, to keep moisture retained. Sure. So it's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's many benefits from it, I see. I mean, there are some challenges to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be some side effects and, you know, your C to N ratio gets out of whack. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can be tough. Rye can get, rye can be a double-edged sword if you don't get on it in time and spray it. It, it can, rye spring jumps. warms up. Ooh, oh, man. Man, it can get tall <laughs> very, very quickly, as you know. Um, like I said, some of the best lessons are the ones learned the hard way. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've had that happen. Yeah. But, um, so, and, and you, you kind of talked about it. You're, you're obviously all based out of Virginia. Um, 
and for me, moving from Virginia to the Midwest, there's been, um, I won't say, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but a, a lag or a delay in, in um, innovative techniques coming across from east to west and spe- specifically farming. Um, we're starting to see the use of cover crops quite a bit more, no-till drilling, uh, but there's still quite a few operators um, you know, disking things on on a you know annual basis, um, pre pre planting uh, or post post harvest. Um, but what are some of the things right now, Glenn, that you're seeing starting you know innovative on the East Coast um, that you might see come up in the next you know five years? Anything that's like okay, this is this is cool. This is kind of new. Here's some new science that's coming out, or, or again like a new technique. Yeah, the the cover crop that that word has really taken off mm-hmm. um, in and out of the bay. I mean, I'm right. using it in the Appomattox out of the bay, mm-hmm. um, and at home in the bay. Um, it's it's funny. Some people are just setting their ways, and I get sure. that. I mean, we 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 all fight that in anything that we do. Not to throw out um, any names, but like our dads. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, we, we live it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it seems to be a, a longer adoption rate or, um, right. to, to do some of those things. Same thing with tillage. Sure. Um, some guys, I mean, I, I know in the Midwest with those deep topsoils, they, I mean, we, we have to know till, yeah. uh, I have to know till one to get it all done. I'm not burning the fuel. That's right. Um, two to conserve the, our most important the resource um, itself asset resource the soil itself right um and try to build you know topsoil organic right. matter we just i joke i mean i tell people i meet at different events and stuff i mean what you think about it in virginia i mean that's where the settlers first came yeah and started working the ground i mean we're farming subsoils now because the topsoil is is gone well, it basically I mean, it's, it's red clay right i mean it's it's a, a, a sub layer that's, that's been formed for, you know, hundreds of years where mm-hmm. you go out West, those soils have not been formed yeah. as long. I mean, there are a lot of glacial till soils, so that's a whole nother dynamic. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> they, they, they could till it as long as they want to, and they're not going to lose. Right. The, top their, soil. So, their top soils feet thick. Yeah. And we're, we're right. talking, okay. You know, Virginia, there was there was inches, and, and now, but the through those tillage practices, since it's been farmed since the 1600s, you, you've lost it. And I know North right. Carolina is the same way; it's red clay country, and that's oh, why yeah. there's so many inputs that typically have to go in annually to basically yep. increase the fertility of it, so you still get the same crop and yields out of it. But that's why I think there's such that big push um, and innovation coming from the east, moving back into the the plains uh the the areas with lots of topsoil but i i read a book or listened to a seminar one time it was talking about um people going back and, and looking at like ancient civilizations um and what they were doing was calculating like how long those civilizations um lasted and they were all you know farming um civilizations and then they they calculated basically the um amount of topsoil that would have been there and uh-huh. then the degradation of that topsoil or the eroding away um, and how long it would have taken for that topsoil and those practices, the tillage practices to uh, basically remove all the topsoil. So then they couldn't have grown crops. And it's funny because the 
exact estimation of how long it took for that topsoil to be right away and be gone based on their mismanagement of it was the exact timing of the the length of that civilization like 500 years in a lot of instances and like i think it's the mediterranean it's like they farmed it until they couldn't farm it and lived on it anymore and that civil civilization died and now it's like you know what you're dealing with you're you're farming clay and trying to build organic matter and make that soil as healthy as possible but a lot of places in the east coast because they've been tilling for so long or farmed for so long you know, they're not, they've lost a lot of topsoil. Yeah, it's, I'm showing my age and I can't remember, but I, uh, I vividly remember the, the wow effect that I, there was a slide in college on, um, how, how long it would take to lose an inch of topsoil mm-hmm. and in some tillage practices and elevations. I mean, that can happen in a year Yes. and yes. how long it takes to rebuild an inch of topsoil. That was the, astonishing number i, I mean i forget 10, how long it was it, it was a long time uh, we're, we're, yeah <laughs> it's a long long time that, that was eye-opening yeah but it back to the 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 practices that are moving and, mm-hmm. and coming that way i mean the, the neat one neat story and I, I know everybody knows his name but david hewler the, he's corn growing champion has a world record corn yield mm-hmm. and he's done it in on, on a virginia soil wow. he's done it on the James River, yep. a monkey soil, an old soil. I mean, it's our state soil, but a very productive soil. But he's grown the highest corn yield ever recorded on an old Virginia soil. So, wow. I mean, it, that just shows what can be done. Granted, his his family has farmed it for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And he is a tremendous farmer and as humble as can be. Right. But, you know, it's... <clears throat> I, I hear guys say, you know, they, they have to manage the residue and, and this and that. And that's why they till. And then, I you know, I look at David growing 400 and some bushels of corn oh. in a no-till operation. Goodness <laughs> I'm gracious. Like, you know, it's it, it, it's all how you look at things. Sure. And, and that's <clears> – <throat> I'm not saying it fits for everybody because there are challenges in mm-hmm. no-till. There are challenges in till, um, challenges in cover crop, no cover crop. I mean, sure. it's – but – it's guys are starting to experiment now with, with more things and, and give mm-hmm. it a try. I mean, that's, I think that's, I mean, our world population in itself now is more open to change right. and trying new things. All right. So for a real estate story, I guess, you know, we, we do listings. I, I don't know if everyone can hear this, but it's a, it's a, it's a pat mm-hmm. on the back. <laughs> this is just an idea. Uh, I guess the importance of kind of the way you market your, um, if, if you're a person getting ready to list your property or, you're kind of, uh, maybe you are a buyer. This is kind of just a quick story on, on kind of different things, ways you can do it. This is the way Matt and I market and, and try to do our, blend our consulting with our real estate. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago. I it can't remember February it 6th is when the property got listed. And people probably think we're so available. stupid when it comes to it. Like, I don't remember when, do, uh, we do so many podcasts <laughs> yeah. and we do so much consulting and so many reports and all this different stuff that where really when it comes to the today's I, a Sunday I know I that. can't tell the difference between <laughs> uh, the only difference I know about the first few podcasts we ever did and now is the different mics we use yeah. outside of yeah. that I don't remember much about them yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we had a we had a, a listing actually we had a buyer yeah. uh, over about a year ago it come was, to it was us March of last looking for a property to yes. 
purchase, hunt on, but invest in and yep. possibly resell. Um, and so our idea was let's buy a rough piece of ground. Yep. Let's transform it. Let's, let's buy it at the right price. Buy it at the right price. You make your which, money on the purchase, around not on the sell. Rough piece of ground. So rough piece Overlooked. of ground. It was it was logged. Yep. It was grown up. And I say that in air quotes because yep. uh, some people have different versions of grown up. Sure. Um, this was a, a healthy, great grown up. It had been logged just a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, actually, the listing agent, when we toured it, uh, said there was deer everywhere. So, or I guess before we got there. So yep. that's what caught our eye. He said it's very rough. Uh, it's thick. been logged. Lots of it's very thick, but lots of deer. Bing, bing, bing. Okay, let's check Under it out. Chicken dinner. And ended up uh, looking at it, and the buyer was like, "What do you guys think?" We said, "Man, this is pretty, pretty nice. There's already logging trails, skitter trails put in place." Um, there's already loading docks that could be turned into food plots. We, we can punch in a few others. Um, there is a, uh, a good opportunity here with fire breaks. Um, mm-hmm. This is an area that's woodland woodland landscape, native native landscape. It's accessible um, from all sides. Yep. There's a power line on one side. That, yep. It's just, it had good, it had a good foundation. And so basically... We went in there and, and bought it at the right price, or, or the buyer bought it at the right price. We helped transform it, prescribed fire, food plots, and trail cameras. Stand location. They yep. harvested some deer off it this fall, and they decided they wanted something a little closer to home. They'd made their investment, and they were ready to try and move to the next property. And so nine months or ten months after purchase, yep, they listed it, or we listed it, and it was under contract. It was listed under contract and closed in 16 days. Perfect. There you and go. And they they wanted they wanted something quick to be able to you know um, move on move on something else. They had some other things happen. They're like you know what? Let, let's try and see what we can do. Um, but from investment standpoint, check that worked. Uh, from a hunting standpoint, they improved that improved the habitat. Um, and, and we're able to turn around quickly. And that's where basically, you know, a plan from the very beginning of what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, um, is super important to develop. That's why, that's why we honestly do consulting because we know the value of, okay, this is, this is what needs to be done. Here's where you get, um, the most bang for your buck out of these projects. Let's go in, let's do it. Um, and then, and then on the flip side, coming back in and showing that through a marketing standpoint, um, so again, February 6th, I believe this property, um, officially was listed and available. Um, in 16 days, it was closed and a pretty nice offer. So, um, anyhow, just a, a great example of, okay, let's, let's find the right piece. Let's, let's purchase it. Let's make a plan. Let's make a game plan, um, execute it and, uh, get it back out there and, there you go. Sixteen days later, it's it's sold and with, onto the next with land and legacy management plan and and maps. Yep. Transferring go. with the purchase, so the next landowner <laughs> now has that available. So, so anyhow, that's just a, kind of the complete story with with that property. But um, that's that's one, and we're looking for others to be able to do the same thing. So if you've got a property and you're looking to do similar things with it, contact us. Let us know, or if you want to be. Um, making those same types of moves financially from an investment standpoint. We would love to be able to help you out. Contact us 
at uh, info at landlegacy.tv. Um, we'll get with you and um, try and do the same thing for you guys. There you go. Done. He nailed it. I, I'm i always encouraged to talk to farmers who are adopting new techniques and using technology to their advantage. Um, and from aerial seeding, um, from the nutrient management plans, from um, that class C nutrient management plan, he is really taking that technology and doing precision agriculture. Um, even from amending the soil to the planting rates, what what blew my mind, I didn't know <coughs> that he was doing to this degree, is but in each zone within a field, um, the the planter is in sync in changing the population based on the zones, how many kernels of corn basically is being planted. So in areas that are a little more fertile, he's bumping up the number of kernels and, and basically minimizing the spacing between stalks because that, that portion of the field is that much more productive than others. So um, he's getting more out of land, being extremely efficient with the technology. And um, it's awesome. So, so it's robotic it's not it's i guess it's it goes without saying he's not broadcasting seed (laughs) 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 or he's not using an no-till drill and that's not a cover crop seed he is oh is he yeah from an aerial standpoint yeah 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 yeah. but Uh, and that's not a burn on no-till drills no-till drills are called controlled spills so they don't count the actual seed that's going out it's more of a kind of poundage per acre type thing well that and he kind of talked about the difference between oh did okay uh, a little bit uh i think that's actually maybe pre-recording but talking about um he he loves from it from a precision standpoint um to use his planter as much as possible because it is def i mean it is counting <laughs> seeds dropping per yeah. acre spacing a lot more than the drill but this year because he's strapped from okay he's got a thousand acres up here and 900 down here or whatever the the ratio is um they're three hours apart different growing seasons Moving and mobilizing the equipment, he's going to be basically be planting all the soybeans with a drill, so a little less precise than the planter, and he's going to be planting all the corn with his planter. So, basically, um, to answer your question, yeah, he's he's adapting and and um, altering things. So, it it's cool though because with the times, you always have to just manipulate and. Uh, roll the punches and that's what he's doing that's right and, and trying to make the best sound practices um available and and honest about you know pros and cons from from a planting situation from a mending soil situation to a cover cropping situations um all these things have their challenges and you know what um he's he's open and forward about it so i hope there's some interesting i hope yeah hopefully there. they they get some brainstorm stuff going on with that maybe yeah. it, maybe it opens up an idea for them on on something they can do on their farm mm-hmm. also check out our facebook page land and legacy i'm going to try and add these events that we talked about yes. uh, before we jumped into the interview uh, i'm going to add those to those uh our to our events tab um also if you guys uh enjoy this podcast please leave us a review or recommendation on land and legacy facebook page check out our youtube channel yeah uh, we're going to start dropping some more videos soon um, and then if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a review, please. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Anyway, guys, we uh, we appreciate you joining us for another podcast, and we'll catch you next time. We'll see you.